0: Hello and welcome
1: to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation, from academic discussions happening in our journal, to interviews with filmmakers and artists, and global perspectives on health and medicine from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and to the humanities, because life happens
2: at the intersections. and welcome back to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Today I am speaking with Dr. Hannah Simpson and Dr. Megan Girdwood about the special issue that's going to be published in June, The Human Bodies of World War II Beyond the Battlefield, which investigates the impact of medical crisis and treatment on non-combatant bodies beyond the battlefield during in and in the long aftermath of World War II. Dr. Hannah Simpson is a postdoctoral scholar at St. Anne's College, University of Oxford, specializing in modern and contemporary theatre and performance, and Dr. Megan Girdwood is an early career fellow in English at the University of Edinburgh, working on modernist literature and dance. I'm so happy to have you both here with me today. Hello, Brandy. Thank you for having us. We'll start off just by having you say a bit more about yourselves in general, and then I'd love for us to talk a bit more about the June podcast. So, Hannah, why don't we start with you? Okay. Um, So my initial monograph that I worked on
1: for my PhD thesis, which was the work I was doing at around the time we conceived this conference and the special issue, um, is on Samuel Beckett's work and specifically the representation of physical pain and suffering. And I look at his plays as very specifically post-war plays, plays that are influenced by this long period of witnessing Really widespread math pain, but also examples of very close localized suffering. And so that was the background for the thinking about this conference um, that led to the special issue was that idea of okay, you've got wartime and you've got the post war moment, what does it do to the body?
2: That's great. Um, and I think that's actually, I want to come back to this idea of pain in uh, in just a minute. Megan, want to tell us a little bit about your own work and how you how you arrived at this place?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, so like Hannah, I quite recently finished my PhD um, and I'm now an early career researcher uh, at the University of Edinburgh. And I'm also working on modernist literature and performance, looking specifically, as you said, at the question of dance. And this really, I think, pertains uh, to issues around embodiment. Um, I like to think about how writers kind of attempted to translate bodily arts like dance into language. um, And also to think about how we as kind of interpreters and spectators attempt to kind of decipher and decode uh, bodily performance. Um, And my work kind of covers the, the late 19th and early 20th century. But the monograph I'm currently working on does go up to, to Samuel Beckett. So that's an interest I I share with Hannah. Um, And I think the kind of very starkly kind of minimalist gestures and uh, very particular movement vocabularies that artists like Beckett are developing are quite keenly attuned, uh, as Hannah said, to questions of of pain and suffering and embodiment. So that's the kind of background through which I came to, to the kind of questions that are at the heart of this issue.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm actually going to ask you to articulate those questions in just a moment. I wanted to say a few words, though, about I I know when you conceived of this topic and after they were submitted and everything was long before we expected to have the coronavirus crisis, which we're all facing at the moment. But in some ways, there are interesting um, parallels or overlaps, especially in terms of embodiment, suffering this concept of before and after and continuity of suffering that I think your special issue actually does have some pertinence to the present moment. So maybe you could tell us a bit more about the questions that are at the heart of this issue and how you see them still affecting us today. Certainly the issue that has struck me
1: most forcibly at the moment that seems relevant is the fact that we were interested in looking at how these forms of, of physical and mental injury during the war are not contained in any neat battlefield location or moment. They spread throughout the entire globe and certainly disrupt any of these boundaries. I mean, we might want to think about as here is the dangerous location, here is the battlefield and here is the area of safety. You know, this is a war of... um. The chemical warfare and and air bombardments there is no safe space a lot of the articles look at as well there's also no sudden moment of safety at which point we can definitively say okay the war is over and the suffering and the problems occasioned by the war are also over and sitting here you know in a pandemic of this you know incredibly flexible timeline that we're looking at over the next couple of months those have been the moments that seem to speak really pertinently from the issue to me right now
2: yes yes megan
0: yeah i mean i'd absolutely agree with with what hannah said and um i suppose one of the things that struck me is that we're kind of living in this state of um suspension um and kind of an odd sense of our temporality which really i think. Um, is something that resonates with with Laura Salisbury's article on uh, the temporalities of waiting that really characterised the Second World War. Um, And I'm also, I guess, struck by the fact that we're newly attuned to one another's bodies and to the the kind of distances and uncomfortable proximities between us, um, which I think echoes what what Hannah said about the kind of contained uh, nature of um, bodily experience during the the Second World War. And equally uh, Roberta Bivin's commentary on the the NHS which kind of closes the the special issue complicates the the narrative of the National Health Service as a a kind of post-war reward for British citizens Um, and I'm just really interested in how we see some of these dialogues uh, recurring around the National Health Service and kind of global health services at the moment, Um, the kind of rhetoric that's being used to to kind of define the role of our key workers. So yeah I'm hopeful that the articles and that the issue more generally Um, do speak to our present moment in interesting ways.
2: Yes, I I agree. And of course, um, I am in the United States um, and we have managed to handle this worse than anyone else, I think, so far in terms of the response to the virus. But one thing that's come out of this recently, and I don't think this is just rhetoric in the United States, I think I've seen it in the UK as well, is this reference to uh, health workers as though they are wartime combatants, when, when they are in fact non-combatant bodies, much like you're speaking about, um, and what that means in terms of our expectation of sacrifice. And I wonder, um, particularly in your focus on non-combatant bodies, uh, what that might say in the larger context.
1: Yes. And I mean, to refer back to to Roberta Biven's article that, that, that Megan mentioned, her focus on the NHS being constructed rhetorically and very deliberately as this site of continued patriotic labor you know this is a way yes it's a reward for your wartime service but it's also a way to continue that wartime service it's a very deliberate construction of that idea of the nhs
2: um
1: but then the, to, to go to a sort of slightly different track, Letitia Johnson's article, which looks at a really sort of um, under-researched area. She's looking at the interned Japanese-Canadian citizens uh, in Canada during the war. And not just the lack of health care that's available within these internment camps, but also the Japanese-Canadian medical professionals who were interned and who struck this really interesting balance between adaptation and resistance by continuing their medical practice as their intern. And to develop that into this conversation of healthcare provision as being, yes, an expression of political power, who is given access to healthcare, but also as an expression of political ideals. Who do you provide to and when, when do you give your service and how you contextualize that as service or a form of resistance, in fact?
2: Yes, I know that um, prisoners, people who are actually incarcerated, not just in internment camps, which uh, unfortunately we do presently have in the United States with refugees in them, but also prisons as a state in a similar kind of situation. Megan?
0: Yeah, I mean, just to build on what Hannah was saying, um, I think we do also see this rhetoric seeping too into the, the kind of treatment of victims of coronavirus and survivors as well. You know, um, with uh, kind of sufferers being characterized either as fighters or as non-combatants or as kind of passive, um, which is, I guess, one of the other risks of this kind of rhetoric taking hold is that it characterizes a medical struggle in ways that reflect wartime dialogues. and it can become kind of politically expedient to frame these medical crises as patriotic struggles. Um, but it's the way that these gloss over existing political uh, fractures that are, are quite concerning. And I suppose we haven't really seen the repercussions of that yet, because it's, as I said, kind of we're existing in this state of uh, perpetual suspension. Um, but it is wearing, I think, the way that we see uh the ambiguities around healthcare provision kind of being worked through, um, with uh, uncertainties about, you know, the treatment of the very elderly, uh, people with underlying health conditions. Um, you know, here in Scotland, for instance, it's I think at the moment estimated around one in four deaths have been in care homes. Um, so it's risk that the scrutiny of government policies in times of of healthcare crises might be somehow seen as as unpatriotic. Um, So those are the kinds of issues, I guess, that are raised uh, in in very different ways in in our special issue um, pertaining to the scope of the Second World War. I think that's really fascinating
2: also in terms of acceptable sacrifice, because the moment you speak to these issues in terms of patriotic uh, service, then the sacrifices somehow become patriotic sacrifices as well. And I can think of uh, lots of places in your special issue where that kind of comes up, sometimes not directly, but the concept that this suffering is worthwhile or that this pain is um, for something is partly steeped in that rhetoric, don't you think? Mm, Absolutely. And
1: I mean, I think to to speak to what Megan is saying there, the the fact that we still don't have another easily accessible discourse for this kind of encountering of suffering it still has to get spoken through the terminology of the fighter or the survivor and that was you know was very much at the heart of the collection of of articles in the special issue and that we bring up in the introduction this idea that so often not just the discourse but actually the research that gets carried out is so focused on that male military body and quite often the white military body that's how we understand violence and suffering to have taken place and of course you know know logically that that is not the case in in any conflict situation let alone a, a global conflict but it's so ingrained in our way of thinking and speaking about any form of mass suffering that we are still coming back to that discourse it's still the only way that we can make sense of it and it was one of the challenges of the issue one of the challenges, but I think also one of the really exciting challenges was to try and introduce a framework for talking about this kind of mass suffering that did justice to the scope, that didn't try and subsume it into one neat narrative, but that allowed you to get a grip on both individual and more global cases without it becoming an easy single body narrative.
2: Mm, Interesting. Interesting. Megan?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that is one of the the kind of key aims of the issue is to disrupt this single-body narrative of war, um, which tends to kind of subsume all experience into one figure. Um, And I suppose we're um, also working with other kinds of emblematic figures in the issue, so figures like the evacuee, the spy, the interned prisoner. These are all, I think, figures with a symbolic resonance as well that have had their histories co-opted culturally in certain ways. Um, But I think the articles through... Um, They're quite diverse kind of critical methodologies have provided new ways of looking at these kinds of wartime experiences. Um, So even thinking sort of specifically of of Jonathan Taylor's article on evacuated children's welfare services, um, he kind of really probes into the uh, received wisdoms about the post-war consensus um, and the argument that the visibility of impoverished urban evacuees led to unprecedented social reform. Um, And I think the work that that article's doing um, challenges particular ways of looking at these these kind of symbolic or nostalgic figures. Um, so I, I'd absolutely agree that the importance of this intervention lies around looking at the, the kind of broader range of bodily experience and narrative.
2: I think, and of course, for myself, this is medical humanities, and... To me, the value is also in that breath that there are no singular reasons for anything. There's no way that we'll be able to look back on this pandemic and find the singular cause. I know people are looking for it now, but, you know, of course, our present pandemic is brought on by everything from environmental change to systematic racism, uh, at least in its pervasiveness. Um, And I think that personally, the breath that you're taking to the special issue is part of its strength and what made it, in my view, a medical humanities special issue. Because I think in some ways it's very historical, but it's not just history of medicine, because I think you're engaging on these multiple levels with the human at the center of these problems and engaging with them through multiple means of, uh, of embodied experience and also embodied performance, which is really a strength of the issue. Again, this is the special issue for June at Medical Humanities called The Human Bodies of World War II Beyond the Battlefield. And it is looking at the impact of medical crisis in a broad context, after and as well as during, but also after World War Two. So I'm really pleased to have had you both on and I know we've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything you would like to sort of sum up say finally uh, to our listeners here today?
1: Um, I would just quite like to draw attention to Emily Mayhew's commentary, uh, which is at the end. Issue, which again, you know, does a wonderful job of summing up some of the issues there, but is also speaking really broadly to the value of medical humanities at this moment of what it means to have, you know, a multidisciplinary but incredibly detailed resource for analysing issues of medical, physical and mental injury as a way of bringing new resources to to not just historical research but to our contemporary practice. And, you know, I think even if World War II is not your your special interest, it's a, it's a piece of writing that really speaks to the broader heart of what it is we're trying to do within the medical humanities.
2: And actually, I think World War II at the moment being itself something that affected every country. I mean, it, it was its own um, pan-critical situation that happened possibly in some ways the closest... Thing we can compare our present crisis to, so actually a really, really relevant time for this special issue. Megan, anything that you'd like to share with us before we head out?
0: Yeah, I just echo what Hannah said, um, and I don't want to kind of try and harness the issue to um, broadly to our present moment, but I would just say that I hope readers kind of find the the diversity of uh, disciplinary perspectives on show interesting and even sort of provoking um, in terms of current political climate, um, and. I guess, yeah, just to, to suggest that the diversity of bodily experiences that we're examining in this issue, um, I hope, really resonate with readers from a, a variety of, uh, of dis- disciplinary backgrounds. So do
2: I, and I think that it will. I've, I've been increasingly impressed with the breadth of the types of articles we've seen at Medical Humanities in general, and this special issue is just one more excellent example. Once again, thank you so much. This was Dr. Hannah Simpson and Dr. Megan Girdwood, and this is the Medical Humanities podcast Thank you for joining us in the conversation.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the
1: Medical Humanities Podcast. Stay in touch by reading the journal or our blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We're also on Twitter at medhums underscore BMJ or find us on Facebook.